Council of Councils. Yes, the Council of Councils. Council. Uh... I have to say, the Council of Councils does sound like a fictional EU institution in like a mockumentary <laughs> yeah. about the EU. Yeah. <laughs> Hey there, folks, and welcome back to the EuropeLex podcast. I'm, of course, Ewan Healy, and with me is my co-host, Gabriel Hedengren. Gabriel, how are you doing this week? Hello. Yeah, I'm all good. Um, just obviously, as for everyone else, sort of final stretch. 2020 is nearly over. There's not much to look forward to, but then there is. It's a weird, very weird time. I agree. Yeah, because I usually obviously look forward to Christmas, but then... Obviously, Christmas will be very different this year. And then there's the vaccine, which is great. But then there's also just horrendous case figures and death figures of COVID. Yeah, that third spike is really hitting a lot, a lot of European countries. Yeah. Um, so, But at the same time, it's, you know, everything's sort of winding down. We're nearly over. Nearly through with 2020. Yes, and we are also through with elections in 2020. There are no more European elections this year. So in this podcast, Gabriel's going to be talking to our Romania correspondent, Andrei Miklia, whose name I mispronounced last time, Andrei, I'm really sorry, to cover the latest and, like I said, the last election in 2020 in Romania. And we also are going to be travelling to Spain uh, to talk about a couple of political parties there in our On the Flip Side segment. We've also got a brand new segment as well to fill in just towards the end of this year called Sweet Swings, which is we're going to be having a bit of a, a nerdy deep dive into some of the more interesting data points from our polling averages, which you can find on our website. But first, we're going to do the news and Gabriel's going to kick us off with the headlines from Romania. Yes. So I thought I'd just give you all an update on what's happening in Romania ahead of uh, my discussion with Andre um, a bit later. So obviously on Sunday the 6th of December, uh, they elected uh, the new parliament. Uh, and after winning a clear victory in the 2016 elections, falling just short of an overall majority, the centre-left Social Democratic Party led Romania's government for three years under a succession of different prime ministers. However, in 2019, sort of chaos ruled in Romanian electoral politics with the Social Democratic Party government being defeated in a no-confidence vote and a minority government composed of the centre-right National Liberal Party, led by Prime Minister Ludovic Orban. So not the Orban you will probably know about, but Ludovic Orban, um, governed for the remainder of the parliamentary term up till these elections. Um, and since then, the Social Democratic Party's fortunes have sort of been in free fall. Uh, in presidential elections held shortly after the no-confidence vote, the party fell from 40% in 2014 to just 23%. Um, it was resoundingly defeated uh, by the now-incumbent president, Klaus Hiwanis, in the second round. Then, during local elections held just this past September, the Social Democratic Party lost a number of high-profile mayors and local councillors, although it was able still to hold on to its strongholds. During this time in the Europe-Lex polling average, the party fell from 49% at the beginning of 2017, which is crazy high for sort of a multi-party democracy anyway, but to a low of 23% at the time of the no-confidence vote. And throughout this year, it's sort of been around those levels going up to around 26%. 
um, in the lead up to the election. So as a result of these developments, most observers expected the National Liberal Party to achieve a decisive win in the election and be able to easily form a coalition government with uh, the liberal USR plus coalition uh, in the Romanian parliament. Yet, in the end, the Social Democratic Party was able to significantly outperform its expectations, emerging in first place with 29% of the vote compared to the National Liberal Party's 25%. Uh, this was partly due to a depressingly low turnout of just 33%, which uh, meant that the sort of Social Democratic Party's core vote um, had a greater impact on the overall result. The other big surprise from this election was a surge in support for the far-right alliance for the unity of Romanians, which is a party formed just one year ago, uh, which went from no prior representation in uh, parliament to win 33 seats uh, in the lower house. Uh, and meanwhile, the center-left uh, Piero Romania Social Liberal Party uh, of um, former prime minister Victor Ponta reached only 4.2%, uh, which meant they fell short of the 5% threshold uh, needed to gain representation. So following the setback of uh, Prime Minister Orban, he announced his resignation days after the election, which was quite remarkable given just before everyone thought he had it in the bag. Um, and obviously I'll be speaking to Andre later on in the episode um, to get more analysis on, on these elections. Yeah, absolutely. A really fascinating electoral uh, event that's gone on there that surprised quite a lot of us. Can I say what I thought was fascinating about the elections was that they outperformed their expectations while still losing almost 20 percentage points in the elections. I thought that was quite, um, quite fascinating. And it was a big shock when that exit poll came out. Now we're going to go to the UK, where negotiations are, of course, as we always say, ongoing to try and prevent a no-deal Brexit at the end of this year, when the UK formally leaves the transition period of leaving the European Union. The UK and the European Union's negotiating teams agreed to continue negotiations after last Sunday's supposed deadline, after making some progress towards a post-Brexit trade deal. The two sides remain divided on issues of fishing, the extent to which the UK can diverge from EU regulations, and as well as the way that breaches in a new deal might be enforced. If a deal is not reached, the UK will begin trading with the EU on uh, World Trade Organization terms or from the 1st of January, resulting in tariffs and higher prices for goods such as food. British government has asked citizens not to stockpile, as many companies have questioned whether they're going to be able to deliver things across the border after the end of December. Talks are expected to continue up to the 31st of December deadline, after which point the UK has committed to leaving either with or without a deal. So if we actually see a deal that comes together, you know, on Christmas Day or right at the twilight of this year, there is likely to be a technical extension of a week or two to allow the British Parliament, uh, the European Council and the European Parliament to ratify the deal quickly as WTO rules would have a big impact on consumers and producers. Speaking of constitutional drama in the UK, we're going to head to one of the UK's four constituent countries for a bit of interesting news from the pro-independence movement in the country. So Adam Price, who is the leader of the centre-left uh, sort of progressive nationalist party Plaid Cymru, um, which means Party of Wales, um, which supports Welsh independence, has announced that he intends to pursue an independence referendum for Wales if he wins the regional parliament election 
scheduled for next May. This follows the precedent set by Scotland, which held an independence referendum back in 2016. And the First Minister of Scotland has said that she would like to hold another one soon. Now, support for Welsh independence from the UK has risen in recent polls, with one poll in August showing around a third of Welsh people support independence, which is a historically high figure, but still well below, obviously, majority support. The most recent poll placed Plaid Cymru on 20% of the vote below the governing centre-left Labour Party and the Conservative Party on the centre-right. Even if the party is in a position to form a government or be part of a coalition government, there is unlikely to be majority support in the Welsh Regional Parliament to hold an independence referendum. But many pundits are seeing this as a little bit of a watershed moment for the Welsh independence movement. So now we're just going to briefly move away from Europe. I'm so sorry, guys, but we sort of have to touch on uh, on the United States, where the Electoral College, um, composed of 538 electors who constitutionally voters actually voted for last month, uh, they gathered to confirm Joe Biden and um, Kamala Harris as the elected president and vice president of the United States. Uh, so in key states such as Michigan and Georgia, the electors met under highly secure conditions amid fears of violence by supporters of the incumbent president, Donald Trump, uh, who continues to refuse um, to accept um, the results of the elections. In Michigan, where Joe Biden defeated Donald Trump by 150,000 votes, uh, members of the Republican Party um, attempted to hold their own vote for the Electoral College in contravention of their state's popular vote, uh, but they were in the end unable to gain access to the building. Regardless of all this, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris will be sworn into office on um, 20th of January 2021, um, so in just about a month from now. It will never cease to amaze me how bizarre their electoral system is. Anyway, speaking of bizarre electoral systems, the European Union. Um, <laughs> <laughs> last week, EU leaders finally agreed on a deal to end a blockade of the bloc's historic 1.8 trillion euro budget and recovery package, which had been blockaded by Hungary and Poland. The two countries are strongly opposed to linking EU payments to respect for the rule of law, something that they stand accused of breaching. In the end, following tough negotiations brokered by Germany, which currently holds the presidency of the European Council, the text relating to the rule of law remains unchanged but won't be used until the two countries are able to challenge its legality in the EU's top courts and get a verdict either way. In more EU news as well, on top of that, after years of negotiations, literally years of negotiations, there has been a political agreement between the EU institutions on a European defence fund with nearly €8 billion Euros earmarked for a collaborative research project and development of defence capabilities and cooperation between the countries of the European Union, a first for the trading bloc. Yay. <laughs> Sorry. Nothing makes me go yay like defence defense spending. Yes, it's important. Um, so it's likely major news for the future of Germany. The ruling centre-right um, CDU party will be holding its leadership election on the 15th and 16th of January next year. As we have mentioned before um, on the podcast, AKK, as she was known, her resignation from the position in February due to um, the political crisis the party found itself in, in Thuringia, uh, has led to a new race for the successor of Angela Merkel. The three candidates currently um, in the running are Armin Laschet, Friedrich Merz, and uh, Norbert Röttgen, all from Germany's most populous region, uh, North Rhine-Westphalia. Uh, the first leadership debate has already taken place, uh, with most pundits suggesting that there was no standout candidate. So still seems like um, quite an open race, uh, but obviously it'll be um, hugely 
um, important, not just for German politics, but for European and world politics, who um, ends up um, succeeding um, the Angela Merkel. In a new story that you might have missed this week, uh, last Tuesday, a policeman in Albania shot and killed a 25-year-old man named Kodian Rasha for not obeying their instructions related to a coronavirus curfew. The killing has sparked a series of protests, which the government has criticised for breaching coronavirus regulations themselves. The protests also led to riots in some areas of the city of Tirana, with some protesters heard to be shouting down with the dictatorship outside the office belonging to long-term incumbent centre-left Socialist Party Prime Minister Edi Rama. The country's interior minister, Sandel Khashaj, also resigned, despite the prime minister denying there was a systemic problem within the police force and despite him offering a compensatory pension to the father of Kodian Russia. Now, that's not the only ministerial resignation in Europe this month, with uh, Juris Puce of the Liberal um, LA in Latvia resigning over what could be described as a scandal, although that would seriously deplete the meaning of the word, at least in many countries, I think. So his infraction appears to be that he had been using a Riga City Council parking permit, even though he was no longer a Riga Council deputy. Ouch. Ewan, is that cause for resignation? Oh, Absolutely. I mean, shameful, shameful. I mean, it's quite good. It says to me, it's quite a positive view of Latvia that a thing like that will just not be acceptable. They clearly have a high bar as a nation for uh, politicians. Yeah. Yeah. Stay tuned, of course, for our brand new segment, Sweet Swings. I don't know who came up with that name, but they are fired. And for on the flip side, of course, later with Spain. But before that, let's dig into the Romania election with our colleague and friend, André Miclea. Hi, everyone. Um, So as we said earlier on the podcast, earlier this month, um, the last national level elections in Europe of 2020 took place uh, in Romania. And with me here to sort of discuss the results and um, the likely outcome of the elections uh, is once again our um, Romania expert, um, Andre Nuclea. Hi. Hello, everyone. Hi, you're with us uh, from Romania this time uh, and not France, so in, in the country we're about to discuss. Just to kick off, obviously, the sort of the big surprise of the election, um, at least for, for for a lot of people, was the overperformance of the Social Democratic Party, which um, obviously has been a dominant force, uh, but over the last three years lost half of its base. Uh, but in the end, it became the biggest party with a sizable margin, um, how come? Uh, mainly because a lot of supporters from the right didn't want went to the vote, mainly because they, they were dissatisfied with uh, the National Liberal Party, what they uh, done in the last year and uh, how they handled coronavirus. And the traditional social democratic voters went to the vote, especially in, the, in their strongholds, which are in the south of the country. The, the turnout was the highest there which is kind of normal for every election. Okay. And uh, it wasn't such a big surprise that uh, they, uh, they come up, they uh, finished first. So can you just expand a little bit then on the National Liberal Party and, and why sort of the, the center-right part of the electorate were 
um, dissatisfied with them? Is it all down to COVID? Uh, mainly with COVID, yes. And uh, also with uh, a lot of uh, corruption scandals involving uh, some uh, members of the National Liberal Party, but uh, not big, uh, not uh, high-ranking members. And a lot of uh, people were, um, didn't want to vote, especially because of COVID. And uh, also half of the electorate preferred uh, for the election to take place later in the spring. Yeah, so we should say again that the, the turnout for these elections were really low um, for European standards anyway, with just, I believe in the end, a bit less than a third. Yeah. Uh, so that will obviously have an impact uh, on the result. Um, so quite soon after the elections, uh, the Prime Minister uh, Ludovic Orban uh, resigned. Can, was that to be expected? And sort of, can you just talk us through um, what's going on at the moment? I, I'm assuming uh, there'll be negotiations ongoing about uh, the new government. It was very unexpected. No one expected for Orban to resign. It was kind of a shock. Um, the National Liberal Party came up with two options, with two scenarios. One, it will be for Orban to remain prime minister and the president of the chamber of deputies to go to someone uh, from uh, Save Romania Union and the president of the Senate to go to Florin Kutsu, our current uh, uh, finance minister. The second uh, scenario proposed by the National Liberal Party is for Florin Kutsu to be uh, prime minister and for uh, Ludovic Orban to be the president of the of the Lord Chamber, and the president of the Senate to go to the someone from the Save Romania Union, but Save Romania Union doesn't uh, like that. Okay. They uh, don't they don't agree at all with Orban remaining prime minister, and they don't want to uh, for Penele to have uh, uh, the prime minister and the. A leader of chamber of deputies so they come up again with two scenarios the first one will be for uh, Dacian Cholos which is the leader of uh, Renew Europe group in European Parliament to be the prime minister and the both chambers to go to someone uh, from uh, the National Liberal Party and their second scenario uh, is for Florin Kutsu to be the prime minister and uh, Dan Barna to be the president of the Chamber of Deputies and someone from uh, the National Liberal Party to be the president of the Senate. Before, uh, before letting you go, um, we should really discuss the one new party that entered the parliament following these elections, and that's the Alliance for the Unity of Romanians. Um, it was their first uh, national election. They got nine uh, percent of the vote, um, so sort of a splash for a first election. Might be attributed to the low turnout as well, I'm sure, but can you just explain, they're a far-right party, can you explain sort of their their history and do they have any sort of path of gaining influence um, in Parliament uh, over the next four years or are they being sort of cordoned off um, by the more uh, established parties? When it comes to their history, uh, they are a very recent creative party this year. Uh, but their leader, has, uh, uh, Simeon, has um, run for, uh, as an independent last year in uh, European elections, uh, where he got around uh, 
and their party even around this year in local elections and they got again around one percent and was a huge surprise for everyone to see them on nine percent because uh, they appeared in only two pool, uh, two pools and the rest of the pooling uh, companies didn't care about them at all they have a huge base on facebook especially on facebook they were uh, heavily voted by uh, people below 35 especially from uh, small villages and from uh, uh, medium-sized towns and when it comes to their uh, influence in the parliament in the future this is very uh, questionable because they, are, they have around 47 MPs, deputies and senators, but uh, they will most likely don't stick, will not stick together. Because in Romania, as in other countries, uh, the MPs, MPs yes, have the habit to move around to, from a political party to other political parties. So we will see how, uh, if they will manage to stick together and they will manage to have a real influence but so far they propose to to suspend the president and also some uh, mps from uh, from uh, the social democrats have proposed that too so we may see a, a psd uh, alliance with them interesting um well, thanks for giving us all this context. Obviously, um, surprising elections, lots going on. So we'll have to keep our, um, our listeners and followers posted. I'm sure you will um, on how things go. Um, but thank you, Andre, for, for coming on the podcast again. Thank you too for having me. Hey, everyone. If you like this podcast and want to help us grow, be sure to subscribe and drop us a review on whatever platform it is you're listening to us on. And of course, tell your friends, your fellow political nerds all about us. That would mean the absolute world. We love making this podcast and we love it when you guys love it. So if you've got an idea for a segment, thoughts on a topic that we should be covering, or even if you just want to say hi to us, drop us an email podcast at europolex.eu. EuropeLex is well known, of course, for its vast database of polling data. In this new segment, we've been, again, calling sweet swings because the scripture keeps making me say this. We will point out significant shifts in voting behavior from across the continent by diving into our polling averages based on every single available, reputable opinion poll in Europe. Let me tell you, that's obviously not an easy task, but we think it's worth it. Nonetheless, Gabriel, where do you want to take us first? So I'm going to take us to Norway first and Center Partiet, or SP, in English they like to be called the Center Party. Um, the Center Party sits with the centrist and liberal ALDE group in the Parliamentary Assembly um, of the Council of Europe, and is well known for being strongly opposed to EU integration. In past weeks, the party has crept up to 20.6% in our polling average, uh, and it's actually very close to taking poll position uh, for the first time since it was founded. Um, as an agrarian party more than 100 years ago. Um, and this is especially significant as Norway holds parliamentary elections next year uh, and their 
looking well positioned to get their best election results. And history, obviously, lots can happen, uh, but they're definitely on a very strong trajectory at the moment. And there's been a clear swing uh, in their direction over the the last year. Um, The watermark for this is 16.7%, which is what they achieved back in 1993. Um, for the national parliament election then, which is also when the issue of EU membership in Norway was um, at feverish levels. Um, So yeah, uh, definitely feeling some momentum. Some would say that that swing is sweet. Not me though. I wouldn't say that because (laughs) I don't like the name. Um, Going further east, recent polls have shown us that now three liberal parties lead the polls in Estonia, relegating right-wing, centre-right and centre-left parties to the fourth, fifth and sixth spots respectively. This week's Turu Uringete AS poll, for example, shows the ruling centre party at 25%, the largest opposition party, the Reform Party, at 21%, and, here's a novelty, the new Estonia 200 party at 20%. Never before has Estonia 200 ranked this high in a poll. Mind you, the party failed to gain EU or national parliamentary representation just last year and was only founded in 2018. This recent success can be explained by their firm support for same-sex marriage, which has gained them a lot of media attention. And on top of that, the opposition parties or the other opposition parties have seemed fairly weak in recent weeks. So it's a good day to be a liberal who likes choice in Estonia. Sweet. And we're going to stay uh, in the north of Europe for, for our third uh big swing that we're going to discuss. Um, And high volatility um, is also seen in Denmark at the moment, where um, Dansk Folkeparti, or the Danish People's Party, uh, is dropping to new lows um, as fresh polls are being released um, at the end of 2020. Uh, The decline was less sudden than the rise of, for example, E200. Uh, But the right-wing ID affiliate has been a dominant player in Danish politics since the 1990s. Uh, coming first with 27% in the 2014 EU election, for example. Now, the party is suffering um, from the more isolationist immigration image of the country's prime minister, which is the centre-left Meta Fredriksen, um, and also the rise of a new right-wing party called New Borgia. So they're being squeezed from two sides, you can say, on their key issues, which are immigration and law and order. Um, at the moment... New Borrelia stands at 7.2% in the Europe polling average, ahead of Dansk Volkerberti, which stands at just 5.9%. Um, so what questions everyone sort of asking themselves now is, could New Borrelia be the end of Dansk Volkerberti? Um, we'll obviously let you know if and when that happens, but um, it's really quite a remarkable tumble for them from being sort of the, the poster child for anti-immigration um, right-wing politics to just completely um, crumbling and becoming sort of a marginal force in, in Denmark's political landscape. Sweet swing, according to me. <laughs> don't know if they agree. <laughs> wow, Gabriel, these swings are so sweet. So glad we talked about them. Yes. Which makes me think, is there such a thing as a sour swing? I don't know. Maybe. Anyway, that... We'll leave that one with our listeners to think about. A sour swing, does it exist? Europolex is, of course, run by volunteers. We aren't funded by big donors. Everything we do, including this podcast, is only possible with the help of our supporters, just like you. And if we want to do more, which we do, 
we need your support. So we've started sharing exclusive discussions and special content and votes on what we should contain in our coming podcasts, all on our Patreon channel. Access all of it from as little as one euro a month and support the work of EuroFLX. So don't miss out on all that good content and support us on Patreon. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to our regular segment um, on the podcast, On the Flip Side, where we take you all across the continent to see some of Europe's weird and wonderful national political parties um, and how they um, contrast against each other. Um, This week, we're heading down to the Iberian Peninsula to explore a couple of parties who are both big supporters of certain flags. Um, why don't you kick us off, Ewan? Yeah, I will. So the first party that we're going to introduce you to this week, well, you might already know them, but the first party we're going to tell you more about is the left-wing Candidatura d'Unitat Popular, or the Popular Unity Candidacy in the Catalan region of Spain. So this pro-Catalan independence party is an alliance of a number of local groups who advocate for various left-wing ideologies alongside their pro-independence attitudes. This alliance first collaborated in 1987 before becoming a formally registered party in 1991. Alongside anti-capitalist politics, the party advocates for localism, feminism and environmentalism. This party, true to its municipalist beliefs, holds the majority of its elected representatives in Catalonian municipal assemblies, winning 335 of the around 9,000 seats up for grabs in the 2019 municipal elections. The party holds four seats out of the 135-member regional parliament of Catalonia and two of the 350 national deputies in the Spanish parliament. Furthermore, the party has never held any seats in the European parliament, more recently refusing to participate in European parliament elections, accusing the EU of being anti-democratic, which obviously shows the party's fairly strong anti-EU sentiments. CUP's pro-independence policy is based in a belief in a localist self-government and a belief in the protection of the Catalan language and culture. This civic nationalism leads the group to call for regular protest and civil disobedience against the Spanish national or federal authorities, which has led to clashes between CUP activists and the police in the past. So on the flip side in Spain, there is a party that I'm sure you've all heard about that, um, as opposed to CUP, um, cares very strongly for strong Spanish national identity uh, and working against the sort of localist um, ideologies and movements that that CUP um, represent. Um, And I'm, of course, talking about Vox, the right-wing to far-right party, which... um, caucuses with the National Conservative, European Conservatives and Reformist Group in the European Parliament, and is a member of the ECR party. Um, Vox was founded in 2013, so seven years ago, um, and surged to popularity in both of the elections in Spain in 2019, uh, rising to be the third largest party uh, in uh, the November elections last year, winning 52 deputies and two senators. The party also yielded four MEPs in last year's European Parliament elections, uh, and currently um, supports governments as part of confidence and supply agreements in uh, three Spanish regions, uh, and that's uh, Murcia, Madrid, and Andalusia. Uh, the party was founded as a split from the center-right uh, Partido Popular by members who identify as social conservatives, critical of what they describe as um, PP centrism. Um, The party over time developed policies against feminism, campaigned against gendered violence legislation, and against Islam and Muslims in Spain. Uh, So definitely taking a very far right um, 
identitarian uh, position in Spanish politics. In 2019, party leader Santiago Abascal called for a reconquista of Spain, referencing the 700-year-long series of wars by Catholic European nations against Muslim inhabitants of the Iberian Peninsula between the 8th and 15th centuries. Um, so I guess you can see there the, the contrast between a, a grassroots regionalist movement and then on the flip side, this hyper-nationalist, anti-minority um, right-wing party um, that's currently doing well at the national level in Spain. Yeah, absolutely. And something that's actually a really interesting comparison between the two parties is that, obviously, like I say, um, CUP wants really local agreements, which a lot of their member parties are just single neighborhood parties or something like that. Whereas um, Vox's members and have in the past and Vox's policy bodies have talked about abolishing all regional parliaments in Spain and focusing all the power on the national parliament. So there really are two ends of the spectrum when it comes to uh, democracy and how it should function in, within the state of Spain. Thank you for listening to the EuropeLex podcast. Make sure you subscribe and leave a review for us. Also, to stay up to date with European politics, make sure you follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, all of them. You can find us also at europelex.eu um, and at europelex across all those social media platforms, except for Instagram, that is, because there it's at europe underscore lex. Thank you very much and see you next time. You've been listening to the EuropeLex podcast hosted by Ewan Healy and Gabriel Hedengren. The managing editor was Polychronus Karimpolis. The producer and audio engineers were Rafael Peñorios and Leon Lizana. The script was written by our hosts and our writing team, Matthew Nicholson, Yorgos Kakuris, and Guillem Ferreira de Senda. The music was by Jose Alvarado. And everything we do couldn't be possible without our fantastic supporters on Patreon. Good, good luck finding the good bits to use out of that, Polychronus. That was a mess. <laughs>